0: Hello everybody and welcome to another comedian's interview for my blog and podcast, The Rich Comic Life. My name is Richard Gill and my blog describes my experiences now of watching over 900 comedians over the last 46 years. Um, my very special guest today is a wonderful comedian, it's Rose Johnson. Yay! Hey. Hello! Hi!
1: <laughs> You said you were going to go bananas, and you did. <laughs> you delivered on your promise.
0: Well, I miss uh, clapping live. Uh, I, yeah. I, I, I do go bananas on screen and everything, but um, hopefully yeah. we'll be getting out live very shortly. How, having, how you?
1: Experienced, having experienced your clapping live, I would say, I can understand why you've missed it, the most enthusiastic <laughs> audience member I've ever come across and well, you're absolutely fantastic
0: well you're very kind I, I mm-hmm. hope my blog as well shows how passionate I am about comedy yeah um thank you so much for doing this it's very very kind of you um we're going to talk thanks for, the, for having me it's absolute pleasure we're going to talk for the next hour or so about your comedy career and I'd like you yeah. to start off please by um mm. telling me please how did you become a comedian in the first place <laughs>
1: So, basically, I was at University in Manchester. Right. um, And I've always really been into performing. I'm just a massive show-off, basically. Always have been. Um, So, while I was at uni, I was in lots of plays. And, you know, I've always enjoyed doing kind of that kind of thing, theatre, performing. And I, at university, kind of realized that I was only really getting cast in comedy parts and I was desperate to do really serious stuff you know I was like give me the you know give me the give me the tragedy but no I always (laughs) used to get I used to get cast in comedy parts I kind of I've always you know I've always been in I've always been enjoyed making people laugh just in my just as part of my character I was always like that at school and but then I sort of realized oh actually maybe that yeah maybe that's what i'm good at in terms of performing Sure. and then um and then actually just kind of a, a friend some friends of mine uh started a comedy night uh started, started a student comedy night at university at Manchester university because there wasn't one so there was a there was a drama society you know there was a uh, all sorts of parachuting society whatever but there was no comedy society because actually I went to university 2004 to 2008. Right. And I would say, you know, comedy, even since I've started, has really sort of massively exploded as a popular form, like on TV, stand-up. I'm I'm sure most universities now do have a kind of student comedy night. But at that time at Manchester, there wasn't one. So my my friends Eleanor and Camille, they just decided to put one on. And then my friend BT said to me, do you want to do some sketches together as a double act, um, you know, at, at, at this comedy night? And I was like, yeah, sure. So, yeah, BT and I actually started as a double act and we, we wrote some sketches and performed those. Um, and then Eleanor and Camille, who'd organised the comedy night, decided to um, form a sort of sketch group, I guess, of six women, and... Um, Decided um, to take the show to the Edinburgh Fringe. Right. And so that was in the summer after I graduated. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I sort of went from being doing double act sketches with the BT to performing as part of the 60s sketch group. We did our first show in Edinburgh. And off the back of that, we got an agent and we got uh, a development deal with the BBC quite yeah. shortly after. So, and I've just not really stopped, basically. So I've sort of, yeah I guess, that's fantastic yeah I mean I never made I never made an active decision I never said oh, I want to be a comedian yeah, I yeah. always wanted to be a, I always wanted to be a performer and I really a writer which is actually kind of probably what I do most now but um, yeah it just sort of happened really organically which is actually a really nice nice thing career wise I think is that you end up doing something like as a result of pursuing interests that you really enjoy, sure, you know. Yeah, I just, yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, and and yeah. So that's how. I I um uh, uh, I've I, I joined. I came down to London in 1992 and I joined the civil mm. service for 17 years. Mm. And they had an old amateur dramatic society which I joined. Which it was basically a drinking club. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> they were they were they were looking for the token comedy actor. And I, and I thought. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> So I, I specialised in being the comedy turn and uh, other, than, other than my blog, one of the most creative things I ever did, I, I appeared as Oscar in The Odd Couple and, and it was, it's one of my favourite um, films and my favourite actor is Jack Lemmon and, and I just started yeah. getting laughs and I thought this buzz is extraordinary. Uh, yeah.
1: yeah, it's like it's addictive isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because it's those so terrifying it's, things. You know, when you first do it, it's so terrifying because there's the possibility that you won't get a laugh, and it's like there's no other there's no other performance form where you are so immediately judged, where you can so immediately tell whether people whether you've done well or not. Yeah. yeah. But when it, but then when it does, it's like the greatest reward because it is. You feel like a magician that you've made people laugh. You know. So yeah.
0: So so your first comedy gigs would be at manchester polytechnic in the student union
1: it it was actually it was actually the main university so it was the university of manchester yeah um and it was yeah but it it was in the student union so at that point so there was the main student union on on oxford road but but then the university of manchester was also part of another or oh, I can't remember what it was, it was like maybe something to do with like science and technology. Okay. Um, and they had another student union bar that was on a different campus. And it was this like really grotty, underground uh, sort of performance space. It wasn't even a performance space, really. it was just like a black box that we used, you know, as a rehe- it was a place you could sort of do things in as a That's student. That's what you want though, experimentation.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And actually, it was actually thinking about it actually quite well set up as a comedy club because it was underground, low ceiling, yeah, dark, yeah. you know, a bit grotty. But, but actually, amazingly, so we did our first one there. And then the second gig we ever did was at the Comedy Store in Manchester. Wow.
0: Wow. So because
1: that student night went really well, so Eleanor and Camille decided to put the night on for charity at the comedy store to raise money for the British Heart Foundation. Yeah. And so the second comedy gig I ever did, yeah, was was at the comedy store, which is sort of insane. And it was that was terrifying. Because <laughs> you know, the capacity there is sort of four five hundred, I think. Yeah. And it's you know, we were doing sketch comedy and wow. It, it's a small stage and actually funnily enough for the first sketch that bt and i had in our set uh i played a singer songwriter on stage and she was sitting in the audience and she was playing a character that was heckling me so that was the sketch set up but she we forgot to tell the bouncers that, that <laughs> was our that, that was our sketch so the bouncer the security guard was trying to remove her during our during wow. our sketch. She was having to do the sketch but also sort of whisper to him, no, no, it's part of it. <laughs> yeah, so incredible,
0: really. I know I know Manchester very well. One of, one of my oldest mm. friends from Carlisle uh, lives, uh, has lived there for years. And um, the, the the comedy scene in Manchester is is as good as London. There's so many yeah. different comedy rooms. Um, I, I remember first seeing Alan Davis there, the Jabez Clegg, mm uh in early play, yeah, I know it. something like that but particularly i saw i saw peter k uh on a bill of four act of five acts before he was famous and f- he was fourth on uh, on the bill i'd never heard of him and i laughed so hard i missed the fifth act <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> incredible yeah it's got a great comedy scene yeah. um so, yeah, like, you know, nights like Excess Malarkey yeah. were on. We used to perform there. And actually, at that gig at the comedy store, performing on that night were also Joe Lycett and Jack Whitehall, wow. who, who were at That's the university girl. too. So, yeah, it was like, yeah, it was quite an incredible sort of, you know, sort of comedy, like, I don't know, would you say, sort of class of 2008 yeah, of comedy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: certainly certainly the comedy store, they pre-built it at Deansgate, didn't they? Because they had one in London and they reckoned yeah. that the market in Manchester would be massive. So to have your very early gig there
1: mm-hmm. is not
0: only terrifying, but it must have given you an enormous amount of experience. Yeah, it did. And I would
1: say performing as a sketch group at- on a stay unlike at a traditional comedy club that is designed for stand up, yeah. again is a massive baptism of fire because they're not necessarily the same audience. You know, when people, I mean, it still happens now when Birthday Girls perform, you do the odd gig where the audience just are not expecting sketch comedy and they just look at you really perplexed <laughs> because it's quite a gear change to go from stand up yeah. to, to sketch comedy. And also at that time, we weren't really talking to the audience right. you know we were doing it like a play we were doing it like a play whereas now we've learned you know you need to come on and speak to the audience and be like it's okay this is what's happening it's not a play we're doing sketches but at that time we weren't so god knows what people made of us
0: well i i absolutely love the birthday girls you know i'm a big, <laughs> big fan um yeah how did you did you ever find it difficult at all breaking through into comedy did was that was there ever a point in your career where you thought yes I can do this and I can do this well
1: I mean I would still say I would count myself as still breaking through right. so <laughs> like I okay. wouldn't I don't i but I feel like yes you know I have a career i I do this as my job I mean I'm not a I don't I don't Perform comedy full time. I do other, you know, I'm a classic, like creative person. I've got about eight different things that I do. Sure,
0: yeah.
1: But I would say in terms of, yeah, I would say it's a no. I would say there wasn't a moment where I. It's it's such a it's for me. I hadn't had the traditional really long journey. Yeah, yeah. It took me I think eight or eight to ten years. To be able to make a living full time from comedy or things associated with it, writing, directing, that kind of thing. Sure. So it's, it's, um, I'd say there wasn't one moment, there wasn't like a big break where I was like, oh, here we go. I'm a comedian now. Um, it's just, yeah, it's just been a bit of really slow. But then I tell you what, it, it is funny. Sometimes you do just sort of take stock. And I think I try to do that is look back and think, God, you know, a few years ago, I was thinking, God, if only, you know, if only I could give up my day job, if only I could just do comedy. And it's like, oh, I, I have. You know, I do that now. And so it's hard, because if you don't have that one big moment where you sort of land apart in something, you'll get a massive job. Yeah. It is some. it does sometimes, it's hard to kind of, yeah, appreciate that, because it does happen so gradually. Sure. But no, I think, I guess I've always... I must have always had some kind of self belief. I think you have to. It, you have to be really resilient, number uh, one, and you have to have self belief. Otherwise, yeah. the industry—you get so many rejections. Yes, yeah. You just would give up, you know.
0: <laughs> I think. I think as well, though, it does go back to to experience as well. You know, the more you do, whether good or bad, the 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 better a comedian. I think that I I think they are. You know.
1: Oh my god! Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. and like. I suppose the more you do, the more, the more, the better you get. And also the more you think, okay, well, objectively, I must be okay at this because I am consistently making people laugh, you know, or I do get booked for stuff and I do get rebooked for stuff. and You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, very, it, but, yeah, for me it's been very gradual and it's it's been so gradual that I would count it as still happening, you know? So, that's fine,
0: that's fine. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, please, can you tell me about your writing process and how you get your mm. ideas?
1: So, yeah, for stand-up, I mean, for, yeah. I mean, it's the same for both, really. I mm. suppose, basically, I need a deadline. I need I need a gig I need like a new material night booked right. in otherwise you know I'm not I'm not like a mute I'm not like a poet that gets struck by the muse and it just comes to me I suppose I have got a comic brain in that you know if something happens I would uh, you know I would think how could I use that? I would write it down. But in order for me to generate new material, yeah, I need a deadline by which I has to be finished. And then when that happens, when I've got a deadline, I would say I sort of switch on uh, a thing in my brain which is receptive to mm, turning my my experiences into comedy so for me it always has to come from like a real life experience or something that that could be something that's happened to me or it's something that I've heard or something that I've watched on TV but it always starts with that for me and then I would probably yeah I I would make an initial note in my phone of like uh, just a very brief idea and then if I've got a deadline I would then work that up I would think how can I? How can I say tell that story or talk around that subject and make it into a routine rather than just telling exactly what happened? I mean, sometimes with yeah, yeah. comedy, you do have to just get on stage and say what happened. And yeah. for me, a lot of my comedy is very storytellingy and confession-y and oversharingy. So a lot of it does come from me just telling it in that high pressure. Adrenalized environment where I am, where everything's very heightened and I can riff a bit. Yeah. But I do tend to plan. I'm quite a fastidious planner. So I do tend to like write it properly, how I imagine it's being said, yeah. and then memorizing it. And then on stage, often, yeah, you in the moment, you go down an alleyway or you find something that's funny about it that you hadn't even thought about that comes to you in the moment. But I do tend to plan quite yeah i do tend to kind of write override stuff probably and then dial it back a bit um yeah that, even yeah go on sorry I was,
0: just, I was just gonna say i think that's great because if you're dealing with real life it's relatable to the audience and and if they recognize what you're trying to say and yeah. they get it you can take it to however however much degree you want yeah
1: exactly you and also you can you can see in the room which parts of a story or which ideas you're talking about particularly are resonating with people yes and so it, it takes workshopping in front of that live audience to go oh that's the bit something that was maybe like one line in a routine that really makes people laugh you go oh that's the thing that's yeah. the thing I need to push and, and that's the that's the way into this routine or just a turn of phrase or something. When, you know, you might have thought, it happens a lot, you might have thought that the main thing that you thought was funny about something isn't really funny at all or it isn't really how you, is isn't as relatable as you thought but there's something else. But for me, for sure, the relatable thing is, is a huge deal and I think that's probably something I need to learn to not worry so much about like I remember James a saying to me the key to when you become a great stand up is when you're confident enough to let the audience come to you so yeah. you're not having to like go to them and be like you know being so relatable and stuff it's when you are confident that you can hold back a bit and yeah. let the audience, do the work but I'm, i mean i'm not there yet i'm still very much well, <laughs> giving very, it all on the plane very, being very like Please.
0: it really is it, it, yeah it, he he is a fascinating comedian because he can seem to take a word or a sentence and just run with it and that is yeah. an extraordinary gift to have he, yeah he,
1: yeah
0: he, he's given me a wonderful testimonial he, he once said um uh, uh, if I wasn't a comedian I would happily sit next to Richard Gill all day and make him laugh
1: <laughs> that's <laughs> which, true which I, I, I would trish. agree <laughs> um, yeah is there, a,
0: is there a way that you have of um, remembering your routines uh, how how do you go about this, is, do you go from point A to B in your head, you have notes written, what sort of so, things do you do?
1: Yeah, I Firstly, I would say I have a freakishly good memory, which is a very which is a gift in uh, in in this industry. I hope it lasts me a long time. But yeah, I thank you. Um, I would say that I have quite a visual memory. So when I've written when I've written out my routine, kind of when I've figured out a routine and written it out in full, I would then. Reduce it into keywords.
0: Right.
1: The, the words that that would that, that would jog my memory, and then I would write. This is the first time I ever do it. Say when I've got a notebook, I would just have notes, I would just have prompts that are words leading from one little bit to another. But I would try to really only need to look for, you know, the 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 real changes in the routine I would try to memorise everything else because I would say that because my stand-up isn't just gags yeah. because it is quite anecdotal and conversational it is quite easy to remember chunks because it's a story or it's an idea it's not necessarily one that I need to memorise um, but then when I have to kind of memorise a larger set so if I was doing half an hour or 45 minutes an hour I would only really, I guess, I would hope that the routines themselves would then be in my head because the more you repeat them, the more they are just, you just remember them because it's like muscle memory. However, going from, when I find it's the links between the routines that can be difficult. So what I try to do is I would find, I would find a link uh, between two routines um that I'm going to stay on stage and then I would practice saying the end of one routine into the beginning of the next so I would practice the links yeah. between stuff if you see what I mean so you would try and build muscle memory basically for between the routines as well as the routines themselves
0: sure yeah yeah it's a, it's a good way of doing it the the reason I asked the question is that uh, the other Um, big thing that I did was I wrote a play which we put on for comic relief called The Applicant and it was about it was was basically about me um, coming down to London I had a very successful girlfriend and I couldn't get a job and the whole (laughs) point was me going for all these interviews to try and get a job and um it was monologue and then the interview for each scene so i ran out like a rabbit in headlights i was at late for my first interview and i had this great long monologue that i started chatting to the audience to because i was really nervous and there was nobody else to talk to them and of course the, first, okay. night, the first night we did it i forgot the monologue yeah <laughs> so I was yeah. like. What did I do? And then my maid came running on, and he did all the um, interviews. And that once the two of us were on, it was that much easier. Yeah,
1: to do. it does happen. Um, it still have it happens. It obviously it happens, particularly when you're doing new material because yeah. you're like, I've never said this before. But then you can kind of get away with it by having a notebook or yeah. by or by just fudging it a bit. I—I I mean, comedians. You, you you can sort of normally talk around the last point you've made whilst frantically trying to remember the next point. <laughs> I think comedians are really good at knowing when other comedians are doing that. Yeah. I would say that like the audience might not be able to tell, but I can always tell when it's like they've forgotten the next bit. But I would say yeah, like that even happens. Nerves, it's just stage fright. Yeah, it can yeah. happen. It's happened to me, you know, with routines that I know incredibly well and the re- the thing the reason why it happens is because it's when you're slightly dissociating, it's when you're not in your head, you're not, the stuff that you're saying, your mind isn't thinking those, those words. Your mind is thinking, oh my god, I'm on a stage, everyone's looking at me. So, you, so as much as possible, you need to be even if it's something you said a thousand times as much as possible you still need to be saying that as though you are really communicating that for the first time yeah, yeah, because yeah. it helps you to remember it and stay grounded in your body and not just be floating above being like ah
0: that's the that's the magic of it though and that's what i've noticed with you you do make it seem seamless you know whether whether i'm watching you on your own because you do the, obviously your own stand-up or, or with the sketch group um, yeah uh, do you do you ever suffer from nerves before you go on stage
1: yeah I mean yeah I think it's I think people who don't are sort of mad or they've been doing it a long time but it's interesting um, with birthday girls with the sketch comedy not so much I would say because there are like you said it's when there's other people on there yeah. with you it doesn't feel quite so exposing but also I would say because you know, for example, if you go to the Fringe and do a run up there, by the time you get to like week three, yeah, I, I'm not really nervous for that show because I just think I know what I'm doing. It, yeah. that the jeopardy is not there. Obviously, the jeopardy is there, they might not laugh. But if you've had 15 shows in a row where they have laughed, chances are they will laugh again. I mean, sometimes they don't. Sometimes yeah. there is a freak one where they don't. But with stand up, for sure, I right, would get nervous, for yeah. sure, because. Yeah. My stand up as well is very personal, and you know it's just there's no other if you are talking about yourself and really being yourself on stage, it it's such a it can fit there's such it's, there's so much jeopardy because if they don't laugh, if people look at you and they don't enjoy what you're saying, it really does feel like a person a personal rejection, so sure, yeah,
0: yeah,
1: I mean, this is probably all deeply unhealthy psychologically, but um. <laughs> But, but yeah, think it, exactly. It's all
0: experience, yeah. isn't it? It's all experience yeah. because you know you, your job is to um, uh, control the room how you want it, hopefully very yeah. positively.
1: Exactly, yeah. and and also, I, but also, I would say that nerves aren't. I mean, debilitating nerves are not good, but nerves are a good thing, really, because you need the adrenaline yeah. to to have that to have that edge and to fire on all cylinders. If you go on like for example, we did a we did a gig once where with my sketch group where we all had like a massive burrito before the before the gig. And it was terrible because like it just weighed us down. Like we we, we were too full to be nervous. And so we just didn't have that like you know, that energy that you need, yeah, I yeah, think. So yeah. I think yeah, I think nerves are not necessarily a bad thing. No. As long as you but you learn over time to be able to control them in a way that You know that uh, now when I feel nervous, I do tell myself this is normal. It will be fine. You know, you you can use it. But still, sometimes it is overwhelming. I have still had times like quite recently on stage where I felt like, oh, my God. Yeah, overwhelmed by it.
0: (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) Let's move on to Edinburgh itself. Uh, I am very, very fortunate and very lucky to have gone to the last... 16 Edinburghs I f- I first oh went, wow I first went in 2005 knowing that uh, it, the year that I'd go I know I'd be going for the rest of my, uh, the rest of my time I think it's the best I go for a week and I see 50 shows in a week mm-hmm. and uh, I just have the time of my life as soon as I step off the train at Edinburgh Haymarket, the atmosphere hits you, and, and lots of my friends come and join me in the week, and we just have the best time. Um, can you can you tell me what your first Edinburgh Fringe was like? What year you went up? What what was your experience? So
1: it was um, 2008, and it was as I sort of previously mentioned with a sketch group, which was kind of the first iteration of Birthday Girls. We were called Lady Garden, and there were six of us. Yeah. Um, And so I'd never been to Edinburgh before. I'd never been to the city, I'd never been to the festival. Uh, For the first time I went was as a performer and I had no idea, you know, what what to expect. And yeah, I just, I mean, yeah, I just absolutely loved it. It was sort of equal, as a performer, it's equal parts amazing and utterly exhausting. It's just because, you know, doing a show every day, I know people probably listening think, how hard can it be? All you have to do is work. You know, we have to do is do an hour's show, but no, it is really draining. Yeah. And but because when you first start as well, you know, you are doing your own. You're doing your own marketing. You're flyering for yourself. You're doing press. You're going to do radio interviews or trying to get stuff in. You know, trying to do newspaper things. You're out and about seeing loads of other shows, taking in loads of other culture. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I absolutely loved it. The flyering by the end was a real um, ordeal because it was just like being on the Royal Mile every single day. And it was so funny because you would see the same, like, other people, you know, because you oh. sort of get your spot. So we'd see the same, like, really funny theatre pieces, you know, where people would flyer by, like, pretending to be dead on the Royal Mile and just holding a flyer <laughs> up. And there was us just, like, vlogging a comedy show. But it, I loved it. Yeah, I mean... We performed at the Gilded Balloon. We were in the, the nightclub venue, which is sort of an underground venue, it's quite a theme for us. Yeah, yeah. But it was great. Yeah, we loved it. Um you know, we were like I said, we, we weren't really acknowledging the audience. We had blackouts in between all our sketches. So it was, a, you know, it was very theatrical. And at the time, I just think, I don't think we even had music in between our sketches. So when a sketch finished, there was just silence and a blackout. And so if the punchline didn't land, it was really awkward.
0: Move on. Next. Next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was
1: great. I loved it. Yeah, I really loved it. And just sort of being suddenly part of this comedy community. And it was so exciting Brilliant. because. I guess that was probably the first time when I was like, oh, wow, you know, this, this could be the start of my career. So I, was, we went the summer after we graduated. Yeah, um, Yeah, which is really, really exciting.
0: I, I saw you, um, it must have been about four or five years ago. I'm trying to think of the... Oh, I, it was 2018 I saw mm-hmm. you. And it was the Birthday Girls Late Night Party. Yeah. And I have never had so much fun in my life at a late night yeah. show. It was so <laughs> joyous to see. You had you had music, you had sketches, you had comedy guests on. Yeah. It was an absolute blast. And at the end of it, you came up to me and went, Let's have a photograph and I've got a wonderful picture of all three of you and me oh. just just laughing away it's just the best and it, it it's a cherished memory
1: um, oh i'm so glad they, it was so fun that show it, yeah we yeah, had some it, nights which were slightly dicey where people got to um people were were on the on the party thing more than the comedy and we right. had to be like okay <laughs> it in. But, but yeah it was great a great, was fun, that great show. idea though it
0: was a really good idea yeah good a show. good yeah yeah terrific um i've I've also seen birthday girls that always be comedy as well how did the sketch group come about um did you uh, you you say you all met at college um, yeah but you say there was different reincarnations of it
1: yeah so it started so as i said we we were all performing individually or in various different sort of iterations right as part of this comedy night that my friends had organised yes, in Manchester, yeah. but there was loads of other different people doing stuff. And they basically, Eleanor and Camille just sort of, they they basically put it together, BlazyGuard and that sketch group. They right. just selected six, six of us and said, shall we go to Edinburgh with this? So I guess it was a more, it was and sort of was like it. a condensed version yeah. of that larger comedy collective. We were like, let's, let's, let's take this to Edinburgh and see. And so there were six of us. To begin with, and that carried on for yeah, probably about three
0: down to three, yeah,
1: three or four years, and then yeah, it gradually, gradually dwindled down to three, yeah. um and then when it when there was three of us, we thought maybe we'll rebrand. So they we don't look like the sort of decimated remains
0: of lady garden well what's what's great with three is that you're also energetic when you're on stage that every that you're just looking at each one you don't know who's speaking next and you're looking around then oh, this is happening and that's on and you, keep yes. it, you you're keeping the audience going with you and it it's magical yeah. to see really oh that's is. good um, yeah. Let's move on. Uh, you've appeared on TV in the comedies "There She Goes" and "Absolutely Fabulous" for the BBC and the Channel and the Channel Four sitcom "Lee and Dean." Uh, you've also written for TV, most notably for children's television, and also for Dave's Hypothetical with Josh Widdicombe and James Acaster. How did this come about? How did how did the writing for television come about?
1: Oh yeah, okay, so. Um... I suppose so I've always yeah I've always really enjoyed the writing side of things and I like would say I've always you know that's always been a sort of strength of mine yeah and I just really wanted to because when we first started you know we were doing our own stuff and we were auditioning for acting jobs and which is great when you get them but when you don't it's really frustrating. Right. So I thought I would love to have a sideline as a writer. I would love to have that. It, it just seemed like another thing. And the thing that I love about writing is that you have much more control over it than acting jobs. With acting jobs, you audition, someone decides whether they like your face or not, you know. Whereas with writing, you can generate your own work more. You can, you can write something and then it exists. it's there you know so so i wanted to do that and i did it around for a while just wondering saying to my agent what why why haven't you got me any writing work i wanted to do writing work and she was like you have to get it yourself so i it's a quite a traditional way through really i started writing sketches to submit to some radio four shows that have open submissions. Like uh there was one called The Show What You Wrote and then there's one called Newsjack, which still runs. Oh yeah, yeah. So well, yeah. I wrote I wrote I started writing sketches and submitting to Newsjack wow. and got some sketches on there. And if it was Newsjack, I think a lot of people don't know this, if you keep submitting and your and your stuff's good, eventually they sort of invite you into the writer's room and then so I got invited into the writer's room and kind of got to know those guys and then I got to script edit on on the show and so that was sort of um and it that was sort of like a kind of uh that was experience in writing topical jokes I guess writing news-based jokes and sketches and then I from doing that I then sort of got some work writing for my friends who are stand-ups, writing privately, kind of writing jokes and sketches for them. Mm-hmm. And then I, it just grows from there, really. I, once you get a name for yourself as doing that, then people come to you and, and say, do you, do you want to write on, on this? Um, or, you know, you, just, you become a name in a pool of yeah, other yeah, names. Yeah. But the kids' TV is really funny, actually. That was sort of separate That came about because Camille and I went to audition to be in a kids TV show that was on CBeebies and we performed one of our sketches and they said, we're not going to cast you. We're going to cast some other people. But would you like to come and write on the show? We really liked your sketch. And so we did. Yeah, and genuinely, from that, the script editor on that was scripted into something else, and she said, "Do you want to come and write that?" And that, literally, we've got a wow. career out of it from that one wow. chance audition, and we, you know, we sort of built it up from there. And now we, we write loads, of, loads of kids TV, which is great. That's
0: brilliant. It's it, mm. what's what's fascinating is, as you say, you've got many different fingers in different pies. Um, I I, I read that you also um. Uh, host a, a, a monthly comedy night
1: as well. Tell me, tell yeah, me more yeah. about that. So, at the moment, we're on hiatus because sadly the venue has closed down because of COVID, oh, but it. it's been going for, but I, you know, we'll, we'll start it again in a different yeah. iteration somewhere else. It's called Rye La, Um because it was in Peckham Rye yeah. originally. So, um, yeah, we, my friend Sarah and I just started it. She she got into doing comedy. She did one of those crazy 30-day challenge things where you take on something completely new and she took on stand-up. And so, yeah, we just started this comedy night years ago and we just have been running it and it's a new material night and I MC it. Um, and it's just, yeah, I love it. We had a really, we built up a really nice audience um, and had loads of kind of great comedians coming to do new material. Um so yeah, I'm hoping that I'm hoping to start it up again. Well, do once. do let
0: me know because I'll, I'll oh, well. come and see it definitely. Yeah. Um, do you prefer comparing to um, doing a solo spot?
1: Do you know? No, I prefer doing a solo <laughs> spot <laughs> Fine. <laughs> <laughs> because no, I like I like comparing. Yeah. I really enjoy it. Yeah. But. I'm because as I've said I'm a real people pleaser yeah yeah
0: yeah
1: so um, I do find that the responsibility of like making sure that the night is really buzzing and running really you know what I mean I find that stressful and I'm good at it I'm good at it I can do it but especially when you're hosting your peers you really want to make you don't want everyone to be thinking oh god she's not doing a good job, so it's going to be really hard for us. Do you know what I mean? Of course,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: But yeah. I really do. But I would. But saying that, I do really enjoy the the thing I enjoy about MCing is this is also the thing that's hard about it because when you don't find that spark, you can feel like you're not doing a good job. But when you do find a really impromptu spark, because with MCing you have to be a lot looser. You have to be a lot more receptive to just chatting and audience. It's a lot, lot more dependent on what's going on in the room and what funny you can find. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: But when you do find that, it's fantastic. It, there's nothing. There's nothing else like it because that is that for me. That's the real magic of live comedy is when something happens in a room that, that that wasn't expected that will never happen in that with you know again it's a unique moment it's the magic
0: of it being in the room isn't it yeah yeah yeah,
1: yeah. whereas yeah. it obviously is a lot easier to just go on and do your set and be like i don't you know i just have to do my jokes and i know how to do it all yeah. but yeah i guess it's like it's i suppose it's sort of no risk no reward isn't it so probably yeah, yeah. probably i've enjoyed them seeing more because you know when it goes well it goes well but i do find the pressure of it it it
0: is stressful i think i think with an mc um they are controlling many different things to make the night work where you're if you're just an act you could you as i said before you just walk out and you go write your mind to the audience and you and you do your very best on your own to try and make them all laugh it's it's a fascinating thing um You've toured with such great comedians as um, Jessica Foster Q and Susie Ruffle. Uh, tell me about that experience. Was <laughs> was was, uh, was the supporting them? and obviously gained gained you more experience. Were they bigger audiences?
1: Yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to say. Yeah, it's crazy because suddenly tour support is mad because suddenly you are in front of yeah, sort of three, four 500 people. <laughs> When you're used to doing much smaller rooms, <laughs> and also you're going on cold, you know you're going on first. You're you're the you're the warm up. That's yeah, what you are. Yeah, so yeah, it yeah. that I'd say that's probably the most scared I've ever been right. doing stand up. Just because, like I said, you're you're going on to a, an audience much bigger than you've ever um, played to before. Who don't who have no idea who you are. Who who want to see someone else as well. But, you know, you're just a warm-up. But it's fantastic. When that goes well again, Yeah. you know, it feels incredible. And also I'd say another thing that makes you nervous is they're my friends, first and foremost, Susie and Jess. So I want, I feel like I want to do a great job. I want to get the audience warmed up. Yeah. So it's a lot of pressure. And it's a bit of an odd thing because it's like, it's not about you at all. It's not about me. It's about me doing a job of warming up an audience. So it's fine if like, they're, they're slightly lukewarm to begin with. That doesn't mean I've done a bad job. It means I've done a good job because it's like, I've taken that lukewarm bit. So hopefully when the girls come on, then it then it's great. But I would say that when it does go well, the, the, the support, it's, inc- oh, it's it's incredible because you get a taste of what it must feel like. You, you feel the like a rock star. You're like, ah, oh, you yeah. go, oh, this is this is what it feels like to have got to that point. Like I did one gig at, um, I think, yeah, it was for Susie and I think it was at the Birmingham Glee Club. Right. And it was a packed, you know, a packed stand-up club and I would not have the opportunity to do that with, with an audience that are, on the whole, very warm to my kind of comedy. It's not like going on and doing the opening on a Saturday night where you might have loads of stag dudes and it's going to be quite scary they're, they're, they've come to see a comedian who's not that dissimilar to me so they're probably going to like me and that was just such an, a fun gig and I felt so yeah that was amazing because I did feel like oh wow you get this taste of what it must be like yeah, to yeah, of yeah a potential future I guess yeah. but then obviously you do have some tough ones and you think oh Jesus Christ <laughs> you know yeah 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 um, but yeah no it's great and, and and you know you know I think Susie and Jess are some of my favourite comedians oh
0: they're spot on uh, they?
1: yeah, you know yeah. uh, regardless of, of the fact that they're my friends so it's just an honour really to get to to get to sort of be associated with yeah, them yeah, and she- I don't know if you know but I direct Susie's stand-up shows as well wow,
0: so, I didn't know that
1: so wow. so also it's quite fun to see That's how the amazing. show has changed since we worked on it together to see, and it's really satisfying to hear jokes and routines that I've had a small part in shaping or the structure of the show. It's really rewarding seeing that out on tour in front of an audience and seeing it working. So that's, yeah, that's really fun.
0: I was just just gonna say, um, doing all these different things must be very satisfying for you. (laughs)
1: it is because they all really inform each other they all really help they all you know each different thing yeah. helps the other one like no like gaining experience as a writer helps the directing you know gaining experience watching susie perform helps me perform you know yeah, all, yeah. it all feeds into each other i would say sometimes i do feel like it would be simpler if i just did like one or two things because sometimes it can feel like you're focused sometimes you feel like what am I aiming for in my career you know sometimes you would like to have more of a singular focus because mm. if you're if you're moving incrementally on lots of different things sometimes it feels like how am I going to shoot really far on one yeah. thing that yeah. makes sense yeah so I much um, so
0: yeah
1: but you know that'll come I think I think sometimes I think I think it's sort of born out of necessity at the moment I need to do lots of different things yeah um And I guess if one of them starts, you know, it just takes a a small nudge for one of them to become your main focus. But I do like having lots of different things, you know, that I could be doing that I can focus on.
0: Do you, following on from that, do you have any ambitions as a comedian? Do you have any other ambitions?
1: Yeah, I would, sort of what we were talking about being on tour, having experienced what it's like to play those huge rooms, with people who've, yeah, I would, I would love to get to a point where I'm well known enough in comedy that I could do that, that I could book a tour that would get, you know what I mean? That would, that would get people coming to see me because there's nothing like, there's not, there's no, there's no more fun gig an audience who bought a ticket to see your show so, as yeah. their night out of maybe of that month yeah you're never going to get a more warm audience yeah, so yeah, i would love yeah. to do that and obviously i mean every every comedian is, is is the same thing i'd love to be able to write my own comedy show on tv and and be able to be in it but aside from that yeah i guess to just kind of i guess i guess it's that classic thing of i'd love to be able to find my audience find mm. a big a wide audience who would follow what I do and would want to come and see me does, it, does that make sense?
0: very much so I was just going to say I'm, I'm I'm, doing my best to promote you through the blog I, I think <laughs> thank you're you. great
1: <laughs> thank you
0: <laughs> I really do um, who are your favourite comedians past and present did you have comedy growing up um, yeah I did yeah. so I
1: growing up I loved Ab Fab. That well, was like, good. I w- used to watch that with my mum. Yeah. So yeah, French, French and Saunders yeah. were like huge, huge comedy influences. Um, and I also used to love, I used to love Dad's Army. You know, I used to love kind of stuff like that.
0: What a cast. What a cast. I mean,
1: and also like Dad's Army has written quite sketchy. It's quite sketchy. You know, a lot of those scenes are, like, very, very well-observed and well-written. You know, you could take them out and they would work as a sketch. So I love that. And then, kind of, later on, I was just a huge fan of The Office. I, like, still am. That's probably my favourite comedy show. I know it's an absolute cliché to say that, but it it is. Um, But then, in terms of, kind of, comedians now, stand-up. But, yeah, Susie and Jess i love yeah uh may martin is yeah, another superb, one that yeah. is a, a favorite of mine and then i love yeah james Acaster, obviously and i love cole donnelly as well i, I he was He's one of the first nice stand-ups yeah. he was one of the first stand-ups that i went to see i think i went to see him that first year we went to edinburgh i don't know why i must have just read a review or got a flyer or something I think he is just one of the just most naturally funny people. His way, his laid back way of storytelling. I lost my mind. He told a story in one of his shows about how he accidentally hit his wife in the face because he was trying to squat a fly and he accident he managed to accidentally hit his wife. I lost my mind to the point where, you know, you said, Oh, I missed the fifth act. I was like I'm going to have to leave because I was like (laughs) hysterically laughing and I just couldn't stop and he'd moved on to another setup, and I was still like so I find him hilarious yeah he makes makes, makes it
0: look so easy doesn't he
1: Uh, that's I know but it's not to like look that effortless It's not easy yeah
0: Um, my uh, very first comedian that I ever saw live was on Holiday in Scarborough in the 70s and it was Les Dawson
1: Oh my god!
0: Unbelievable! And then the following year, <laughs> the following year, I saw Tommy Cooper, and I got I got the bug. I just thought this is incredible. Yeah. And yeah. Um, the two that I I would have loved to have seen were Markham and Wise. They're, the, they're yeah. the reason why I do do love comedy. But everybody else that you've mentioned, I've seen French and Saunders. I've seen um, Victoria Wood three times. Incredible. God bless her. She was one of the greatest. Um, Uh, and i i i I just i for me it's just such a passion and i love to sit in the audience and just have a great time i think that's the whole reason to go you know and and that's i'm hoping my enthuse of all the comedians like yourself comes through in the blog um
1: oh yeah definitely
0: yeah uh um, like me, uh, before you were a comedian, or whilst you were a comedian, do you go to a lot of um, comedy gigs as a member of the audience?
1: I mean, before I was a comedian, no, because I—that was when I—I I became a comedian, sort of, at university, and and I before I went to university, I grew up in rural Devon, so right. there weren't really any. Right, <laughs> you right. know, I I hadn't yeah i got yeah i guess the closest we, we we kind of came to it was uh pantomime which i used yeah. to love actually yeah. but yeah. um i'm yeah so i didn't actually I, at university actually i tell you what at university as soon as i was surrounded by it i did used to go to the comedy store a lot um before we started even before we started performing yeah i would go and watch um new stuff they didn't do, do a new stuff show on the Sunday night at Manchester Comedy Store and it was yeah. like three pound or something I used to go and watch that which was great
0: brilliant
1: um, so yeah I, I guess I would I would go and watch a lot of stuff when I first started just to see yeah to kind of see what, what was out there and yeah, yeah, surely, yeah, to see and obviously I loved it but, but I would say now I probably don't see as much as I should. I'll go and see... I do actually go and see quite a lot of shows at the Soho Theatre. Yeah. I'll go and see stuff that's done well in Edinburgh that I've missed. Or stuff, venue. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah, but I I don't go and see as much as I should probably because I guess the good thing about being a comedian is that every time you dig, you're getting to see... Uh, you're getting to see everyone else performing as well. Was, so you kind of watch a lot of live comedy. And I suppose going to a mixed bill comedy night for a comedian is a bit like a busman's holiday but so i would tend to go and watch people's full hour i'd go and see their own show now rather than going to see like a mixed bill night
0: do you like to um uh if you're part of a bill do you stay and watch the rest of the act
1: depends how tired i am but yeah (laughs) i I like to i do like to yeah because it's great to see what other people are doing it's really inspiring and it's also nice to be social because comedy can be a lonely old business so it's nice to kind of hang out with your friends and feel like you've got actual kind of peers and colleagues (laughs) so yeah yeah yeah. of
0: course it's interesting you say about pantomime i saw um ken dodd in pantomime at the opera Ah. theater in manchester and, Amazing. Uh, he he was on till about he was he used to do infamously long shows of course and he was still on stage at midnight and all the kids wow. in the front row were asleep. Yeah, classic. <laughs> <practice>. Yeah. <laughs> and he just kept going. It was extraordinary. <laughs> and uh, the comedy store, the first, my first comedy store bill when I first came to London would be something like Richard Morton, Linda Smith, um, Steve Gribbin. Uh, and top of the bill was an act called Charles Fleischer, who was never heard of again, he was this zany American comic with voice, mad voices, and immediately soon after he went to America, and he was the voice of Roger Rabbit, so he didn't
1: need to work again. <laughs> so he was like, I'm not going back to the Manchester Comedy Store, yeah. see you later.
0: <laughs> it, was, it was unbelievable. Um, How have you found uh, online gigs as opposed to live stand-up? Have you done many online gigs?
1: So, at the start of the pandemic, I was like, hard veto. I'm not doing them because I... The idea of it made me feel sick. I was like, I just feel like... uh, Because, I suppose, it's a generational thing, maybe, because I feel like I haven't i just missed the whole like you know um instagram talking to people vlogging that kind of thing it just missed me so i think i felt like i don't feel naturally comfortable kind of talking to a camera and it's very different to being in the room. So I just yeah. felt like, oh, this is making... The idea of having to do this is making me so really uncomfortable. So I just won't. I was like, I just won't. I'm just not going to do online content. And I think there was a lot... I think at the start of the pandemic, I felt a lot of pressure because loads of people in media were like, right, I'm going to do online sketches and I'm going to do all this. And I was like, that's not what I do. I'm not a content creator. I'm a, I'm a comedian, and, you know. But then... I think it just wore me down the pandemic, and I was like, I've got to do something. I, I, you know, I was like, I just want to perform, I want to do something. And then I think James, actually, I think it was James, James from Gale. ABC that was like, "Will you come and do ABC?" And I was like, you know what? If I'm going to do one, it will be ABC because it's so friendly and fun and has the best
0: audience. Thank you. So I, I
1: think, <laughs> I think that, that was like eight months into the pandemic or something, and I. Uh, yeah, I just thought, okay, let me try. And actually, that one was much like a, you know, as much like a normal gig as, as it could be. I'm not a huge fan of doing them, I would no. say, because I do, I just like being in the room. A lot of my comedy, I, like I said to you, I really do feed off what people are responding to, and it's yeah. really hard to get an idea of that when they're the other side of the computer screen and there's like a couple of seconds delay. Yeah, yeah. But saying that also... You know, it's, it's a challenge, it's out of your comfort zone, and it, it can only make you a better comedian to, oh, yeah. Yeah. to try a new form. And also I'd say, you know, I suppose the, the tricky thing about some online gigs is when you can't hear the audience. Mm. So you can't tell if it's going well, you're sort of shouting into the abyss. Mm. Um, But then also there's something to be said for when you finish just twitching off your computer and you're just in your house. You know what I mean? It's less embarrassing. You you know what I mean? It's like it's not so exposing than being in a room full of people and the worry about the jeopardy. There's less jeopardy if you're just in your own house. You can just turn off your computer. You know what I mean? But yeah, I... I tell you one I say one thing for online gigs I um, another one that I've really enjoyed doing is gigless Catherine Bohart's right. gig that's been really fun yeah. um, she's got a great community so that, that's the one thing I'd say about it is that I think it's fantastic that it's provided a community for people to, to, to feel connected during this Sorry, whole crazy yeah, year yeah, yeah. and also I think it's fantastic that it's provided a lot of access to comedy to people who wouldn't necessarily go out to live gigs people very who might so, have disabilities yeah. or people who just socially find that the idea of that very intimidating yeah. so i think that that's a real positive yeah um,
0: much so,
1: yeah a, 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 a real positive but 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 as a performer i would always want to yeah perform live there's nothing for me there's nothing else like it as, as, like i said being in a room with people and yeah
0: like you say just having a really good time i i totally agree with you um i've i've as i say, i've seen you many times and i saw you at always be comedy online i thought you were absolutely hysterical i really you really (laughs) made me i mean i I, my laugh is very um uh, easy to generate but it is genuine and you were Hilarious that night, but I've also seen you live as well, and the energy that you give off from a live performance is amazing. With the, with the three of you, um, I think uh, online gigs are a super substitution. Um, when yeah. they when they first started, there were uh, I used to, I I used to go to Always Be Comedy. I used to go to um, Return of the Crack on a Friday night. I used to go to uh, Happy Mondays. Uh, comedy nights and very early on there was no audio so uh, so um, if uh, I was sitting here laughing at four walls and I thought I was going to be taken away neighbors were like banging on the walls
1: and then uh, somebody had the bright
0: idea to open open up the audio and it helped with the comedians timing of gags and everything but I'm totally with you you cannot beat the live experience because you're in the moment and anything can happen and that's the magic of it you know it's 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 extraordinary and please 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 can live comedy come back very very soon um just before we go and i've i've had an absolute blast talking to you it's been an absolute delight um is there anything else you would like to say Uh, have you got any more um,
1: online gigs coming up Uh, yeah I'm doing I mentioned Catherine Bohart's gig list show I'm doing that again on the 24th of June Um, she's doing I think she's going to start doing it live actually but she's doing it this but this is an online one she's doing sort of a few last online ones um, before she goes to doing it monthly right. um, with sort of some of her favourite acts from over the past year. So I was really delighted that she asked me to do that. Brilliant. So I'm doing that and then I'm... Um, yeah, I'm going to start... I've been a bit slow on the uh, booking in then live gigs, but I will... I'll be giving James Gill a text. Don't worry about that. <laughs> so I'll be back at, I'll be. I'll hopefully be back at ABC soon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've actually madly been... I've been writing a book... That I that is yet to is yet to go anywhere, but it might. But it's uh wow. so that's how I've been sort of keeping myself busy. So watch this space. I don't have a publisher or a title yet for you, but when I do, I will tell you.
0: Fascinating. And also, where can people find you on social media?
1: You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, and I am at Rose Jono. Uh, so just R O S E, and then Jono is J O H. Double N O. Brilliant. And mo- my tweets are mostly just me being furious at stupid things my husband has said. He's also a comedian, <laughs> um, and uh, and or me being furious with Transport for London. But right. uh, if you enjoy that, if you enjoy <laughs> that content, come on over.
0: <laughs> well, I for one am going to be first in the queue to see you live again soon. <laughs> because I think you're a very, very, very funny woman, and you've made me laugh so much over the years. Thanks, Rich. Thank you so much for doing this. It's been an absolute delight talking to you.
1: If only all audience members were like you, it would be (laughs) fantastic. I mean, actually, it would be unworkable, because we wouldn't be able to get in a word, (laughs) edgeways. Yeah, we'll have to keep it to you, because you're just just laughing 24-7. But, you know.
0: You're very kind. All the best to you. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Rich. Hopefully, see you in real life soon. Uh,
0: definitely. All the very best to you.
1: Bye. Thanks.